and welcome to the Creative Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Van Doren, and in this podcast, I talk with some of the most creative and inspiring people that I know. From hearing about their process to what holds them back from creating, routines and rituals, to the intersection between creativity and spirituality, you'll hear from writers, actors, singers, dancers, musicians, painters, multi-passionate creatives, and anyone else who considers themselves a creative soul. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Creative Soul Podcast. If you are new here, then welcome. I am so happy to have you. And if you are returning, then welcome back. We have another amazing guest this week, someone I'm really excited about, one of my writing mentors, Nicole Galata. So a little bit about Nicole. Nicole is the author of Wild Words, Rituals, Routines, and Rhythms for Braving the Writer's Path, and Eat This Poem, a literary feast of recipes inspired by poetry, which was inspired by her blog of the same name. Her winning poetry chapbook, Migration, was published by Fly Away, a journal of writing and environment at Iowa State University. As the founder of the Wild Words community, she helps fellow writers embrace the season they're in, create at their own pace, and care for their minds and bodies along the way. Nicole holds an MFA in poetry from Vermont College of Fine Arts, and her writing has appeared in many publications, including Life and Time, Lit Hub, as well as many others. She is also a daring to rest yoga nidra facilitator and guides women to feel both physically rested and tapped into their creative potential. So I want to tell you how I got connected to Nicole. And I mentioned that she is one of my writing mentors. And I think this is an interesting note to point out that sometimes our mentors come in the shape of friends, teachers, coaches, but A lot of other times mentors come in the shape of people we've never met before and maybe someone's whose work we've read and we were really inspired by. I came across Nicole's book, Wild Words, last year. I was just shopping at my local bookstore and I found this book, Wild Words, Rituals, Routines, and Rhythms for Braving the Writer's Path. And the cover art is this beautiful like ocean cover. So I really felt drawn to this book intuitively and I read the book and at the time I was preparing to lead my program Writing Magic which is the creative writing and meditation workshop that I led from July 2020 to December 2020 which then bled into Discover Your Creative Soul in April and May Um, but when I was doing research and really being inspired by different writers and different creative writing prompts and how to work with our creativity in a very ritualistic way, Nicole's work really spoke to me and her book was someone that really inspired me while I was leading and guiding others in their own writing practice. I also love that Nicole approaches creativity from a very cyclical sense. We talk a lot about seasons and just the seasons in the writer's life, but also the creative cycles that we as women go to. I think in our society, a lot of the writers that we have looked up to in the past have been men, and so they don't necessarily understand the very real physical cycles and seasons that a woman's body goes through. So I love Nicole's very feminine approach to writing and to creativity. And so we also talk a lot about um, what writing in the margins means to her. That's something that she really champions. How to stay organized as a writer, just in a practical sense, how to stay organized. Really approaching your creativity and your writing from this body-led sense of living how tapping into your creative cycles can stop comparison, 
And we also talk about what to do with your old journals, which is something that I definitely have a problem with, especially as I try to get rid of my stuff. I'm moving this week, and so I have an entire box just full of books and journals because I couldn't bring myself to get rid of them. Because if you're a writer, you'll know that that is your gold. And so we talked a little bit about that. And also, um, we talked about this in this episode too, but Nicole gives some really great ideas of writing rituals that you can do to support your own writing life. And actually, one of the rituals that I've been practicing every single day this year, I think I've talked about this on a couple other podcasts, but I've been doing this 10 things ritual where every day I write down 10 things from the day, which can be thoughts, feelings, words, images, and I found it's a beautiful way to really record my life and really reflect back on everything that happened in a day. And it's just been one of my most life-changing practices of 2021. Like I said, I've been practicing it every day since 2021. And I'll probably do an episode later at some point, maybe towards the end of the year when I finished a whole year of doing this every day, um, because it's really changed my life. And we talk about that ritual in this episode, but we also realized that the reason I had heard of this ritual was actually on Nicole's podcast. She had a podcast called Wild Words, um, and she had an episode with Alicia Summers, which was amazing. It really inspired me. And so I'm going to link that podcast episode as well in the show notes. And yeah, really exciting to talk to Nicole again, one of my writing mentors that I really, really look up to and just so inspired by her community. Um, I'm also going to leave the link for her newsletter, which I subscribe to, and it's called Over Tea, and it's supposed to feel like just chatting with a friend over tea, and it really does feel that way. So really encourage you to check out her work and enjoy this episode with Nicole Galata. Well, hello, Nicole. Thanks so much for coming on the Creative Soul Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So the first question that I ask everyone when they come on is, what is currently fueling your creative soul? Mm, that's a great question. I mean, right now it's sort of a combination of just pandemic anxiety and the need to finish my current work in progress and sort of how to merge those two things together. So yeah, it's really, I think, a product of our times right now in terms of how my creativity is showing up and sort of manifesting in my life right now. But I'm continuing to kind of do what I always do, which is find time in the margins of my life to work on my writing. And that practice has been tested quite a bit these last 15 months, as I'm sure you can imagine. Yes, I bet. Are you allowed to talk about what you're currently working on or is that yet to be announced? Yeah, I'm, I'm working on a memoir right now. So okay. I'm sort of in like the second or third draft phase. So it's, it's at a point now where it is very much, it cannot be ignored anymore. So it's the thing that is sort of calling out to me, the thing I think about before I fall asleep at night, the thing that I have to write at this moment in time. So I've been leaning into that and listening to it and just making progress as I can. Mm, yeah. And I love what you said about writing in the margins. Cause I know that's like a big part of your work and your writing life. And so will you kind of describe for us, like what that means to you and how does that work in your life? Yeah. Yeah. So writing in the margins is something I think I was doing it for a long time before I really named it formally, but essentially it's just this idea of grabbing time here and there when you can in order to write. Because I know for me, when I was growing up and sort of a 
young writer, my idea of writing was, you know, you sit at your desk all day and you work for hours and hours. And I didn't really have this understanding of what does that look like when you, you know, have a full-time job or you have a family or both? And how can you actually blend writing with those other elements. And so by a lot of trial and error over the years, I just sort of figured out the places where I could consciously make an effort to change something. So I remember before I started writing my first book, I was um, commuting two hours a day. I had a full-time job and I was very frustrated for a long time because I was sort of blaming those external circumstances for my inability to make progress. And I call that the season of discontent in my book, Wild Words. It's a place where many of us hang out. I've been there several times. It's not really a place where you like figure it out and then you never return. And so one of the things I did was I decided to utilize my time on my commute. So I was working on my literary cookbook at that time, Eat This Poem. And so one of the things I did, I had printed out some of the poems that I was considering using for the book. So I would get in my car in the morning and I would read one of the poems. And then on the drive, I would just talk to myself and I would talk about the poem and what I thought about it. I would think about the ingredients that were mentioned in the poem and what kind of recipes I could make, what sort of you know, head notes I could do for the recipes. And I would do a lot of that thinking work while I was driving. And then I would get to the office and like write everything down in my notebook before I, you know, got into work. But that was kind of the start of just formalizing this idea that just because our circumstances are what they are, and then we might have some constraints around them, we can still make progress. And part of the success I have found is not just in the claiming those five minutes or 15 minutes here and there, but in also just believing that it will add up to something. Because I think that's sometimes a barrier at the beginning. You're like, well, what is 10 minutes gonna do? You know, But you can write for 10 minutes a day and by the end of the month, you can have you know a draft of a chapter or you can have 5,000 words that you didn't have before. So, so it's really that combination of like seeking out the time within the constraints that you have, and then also believing that it will give you that momentum that you need. Mm, Thank you. I love that so much. And just that, that idea of, yeah, you don't have to, I think that's something that stops me too, from writing that, like that immense task of like, okay, I'm just going to sit down and now genius is going to flow out. But when you kind of use those like life moments in real time, it doesn't feel like such a mountainous task in a way. And I'm curious, like, how do you stay organized, especially when you're writing in the margins? Do you have like a certain document that you're always adding to, or like, how do you kind of keep all that organization? Yeah, I would say it depends on the project a little bit, but I always, I always have a notebook, of course. So, and lately in the, in most recent years, I've used my phone quite a bit. I mean, there were times uh, when I was working on Wild Words, I would walk, take a walk on my lunch break to a little park down the street and just sit with my phone and just type two paragraphs. And that was my writing session for the day. And then I would eventually, if it was in a note app, I would eventually email it to myself. Or what I often do is I really love organizing in Google Docs because I can access it on my phone. So I can just pull up the Google Doc that I'm working on 
and add to it on the go. So I always have a couple of different ways to sort of take notes and keep track of ideas that come because they often come at inconvenient times. Like I would be driving to pick up my son from preschool and I would get an idea for something and it could just be one sentence or one small thing, but you have to get that down so you can go back to it later. Mm, That's so helpful just to kind of hear about the tools that you use. And I know in Wild Words, a big part of that book and and your life is really about creativity and the different cycles of writing and the different cycles of creativity and how that also relates to, you know, as females, how our, you know, our bodies work and the cycles of our bodies. And so we talk a little bit more about like kind of how you discovered those cycles within yourself, within your creative life and how you make those work for you? Yes. So I will, so there are kind of three types of seasons that kind of overlap and inform each other that I really look at. And I'll, I'll talk about those. I would say the way that I first sort of came to this understanding of, I call it seasonal creative living. It really started with when I became a mother, it was one of those experiences where my life had changed so radically in a lot of really wonderful ways, but I couldn't keep going the way that I had been. So everything about how I operated as a creative person prior to that basically had to shift. And so it was just a matter of over time kind of learning how to do that and how to recognize seasons. And what I really came up with at that time, sort of in the fourth trimester when he was just an infant, that was the moment that I sort of stood in my living room and just looked around and my baby was sleeping and I was like, okay, life is different. How, how are we going to move forward? You know? And I had one of those insights where, you know, when you have an infant, everything changes so quickly. So they are in they're in a stage for usually a very short amount of time before something new comes up or something changes. And I was kind of living in this zone of just having to constantly adapt and constantly be flexible. And then one day after I'd maybe had a good night's sleep, it occurred to me, I thought, okay, what if I kind of took that lesson of like the early newborn stage And what if I applied that to my creativity? And I really do believe that adaptability and flexibility are probably some of the two most important components of a creative life. Because when we don't do that, it's so easy to stay stuck and get frustrated. But when we're able to adapt to our circumstances and all of that, it really changes the game. So back to those three um, types of seasons though. The first one is nature season. So we have spring, summer, fall, winter. And I really find that nature offers such a great metaphor for creativity because there are times, you know, just like in nature, any creative project that we're working on, you have periods where you are initiating, you're starting, you're brainstorming, you have all the ideas and you're just kind of working furiously and you have all this energy. And then there are also periods in your project where something might need to sit for a while or you need to step away or maybe you're editing and finishing and doing tasks that are completely different from you know, brainstorming and starting something fresh. 
And then you need a period of rest. Usually when it's over, it's like this big exhale. So I really started noticing, you know, kind of nature seasons, how it works with creativity. I think a long, long time ago. And then the writing seasons, which is how I outline my book, Wild Words, that was just sort of the natural evolution. And that was really the product of that period in my life that I just described. And that is essentially an opportunity to just see your creative life in a new way and kind of enter a new relationship with it. And that has helped me so much just simply naming where I am. Like I said, the season of discontent earlier, or if you're in a season of liminal space where you are just kind of floating around and you don't really know what you're doing and what comes next, those are places that you can have a name for. And I find that when I name where I am, even if I'm struggling with something like self-doubt, even if it only lasts a day or two, just naming it makes it so much easier to sort of move through it because then I can say, okay, I'm here now. What are some of the ways I can support myself in this season? What are some of the things to keep in mind that might come up and derail me? And it's also just a reminder that it's, it's completely normal. You know, we go through seasons and cycles naturally at different paces. I mean, the seasons of a writer's life, those are a little less predictable. It's not like spring and it starts, you know, on this day and it ends on this day, you know, they're a little more fluid. And like I said, everything overlaps and integrates and, you know, informs each other. And, and then the last season on top of that for people that want to go deeper is the inner seasons. And that is all about connecting creativity to your menstrual cycle. So that is like the deeper layer of cycles that truly informs how I operate now and have for the last handful of years. So basically wherever you are in your menstrual cycle, you are biologically more inclined to do different tasks or just to be better at a different task because of what's going on in your brain and physiology and all of that. So it doesn't mean you can't do something, you know, in your follicular phase or when you're on your period or whatever, it just means it might feel a little more difficult. And so when you know what those tasks are and you're looking at a project you're working on and you choose to work on those tasks to align with where you are in your cycle, everything just feels so much easier. So that is really kind of a body led way of interacting with your creativity. Mm. Um, yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I think, yeah, what you said about naming it is so important because I think, you know, especially when you're in, I'm in a season of liminal space right now. And it, and if you don't have experience of going through these cycles, it can feel like it'll be a season that will never end. And you kind of get caught in those thoughts of like, well, I guess I'll just never write again. I I guess I'll just never create again. But then you, when you can name it and you realize that this is something that everyone goes through. And then I love tying it deeper into our, the cycle of our bodies and like really fine tuning into that like energetic cycle, because that, you know, it's all interconnected. It's not just, it's not just either or. And so I just, I I love the work that you do and really incorporating that into the writer's life. Cause I think it's not something you see a lot of writers talking about. No. And you're certainly, I know for me, I was not taught any of this. So this, this was sort of me over the years, you know, as I learned more about my body and how everything was working and sort of connecting those dots 
for myself. And I love talking about it with writers, especially because like you said, it's not being talked about as much in the mainstream. And it's something that can be so powerful and you can use it in any way that works for you. I think that's the great thing about all these different variations of seasonal living is you can kind of pick what works for you and experiment and try different things and sort of make your own version of it that really honors where you are. And I know for me, it's by living this way, it's kind of one of the best ways I know to stop comparing myself to other people Mm. and what they're doing and what their journey is and how quickly it seems something might be happening for them. Because when you really tune in and you sort of let your own body and your own cycles drive it, you realize that there is, you know, there are inner workings at play that just completely inform you and your work and has nothing to do with anybody else. And everything is in the right timing for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's such a good point of like, you know, trusting your cycles because your cycles won't look like anyone else's. And so really right. kind of staying in your lane that way. I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about like how you came to be a writer. Were you always a writer? Is this something you always wanted to do? How did you like decide to be a writer and especially, you know, still balancing a full-time job and being a mother and all these things. Can you talk a little bit about like what that means to you? Yeah. So I have wanted to be a writer as long as I can remember. That's really the first thing I have a memory of thinking this, this makes sense. This is who I am. So I've had that identity basically since I could hold a pen and then it's, you know, grown and shifted over the years, of course. And when I was younger, I was a very voracious reader. I was always interested in reading books and particularly writing books. I didn't know what that meant or what my books would be, but I just, I just loved books and I always wanted to write them. So I knew that. And for a long time, I thought my first book would be a collection of poetry because poetry was sort of the thing that found me first. And I was incredibly serious about it. I still am serious about it, but it was the first thing that sort of latched on. I and mean, this was when I was in high school. I'd been writing a lot of fiction and just stories and songs and things growing up. But in high school, suddenly everything became about poetry and that was my focus. And then I went to grad school to get my MFA in poetry. So I was just on this poetry track and just assumed that my first book would be a collection of poetry. And then, like you said, you know, I started working full time, you know, my writing life changed. I was in a season of liminal space and didn't know it. I didn't have that language at the time. I hadn't gone on that journey to identify it yet. And so I went through this period where I was coming home at the end of the day, just totally depleted. And I didn't have a lot of creative energy left. And poetry was just sort of falling farther and farther away from my life. And it just sort of happened naturally, slowly over time. And food was starting to pick up. And I had been interested in food and cooking for a long time, and it was just becoming more and more a part of my life. And this was in around like 2007, 2008, when food blogs were really kind of having their heyday and everything was starting and it was so just casual and informal and fun. And a friend was over for dinner one night and I was, you know, explaining my problem where I had this day job that didn't fulfill me creatively. And what am I going to do about that? 
And he's like, oh, you should just start a food blog. And it was just kind of this offhand comment. But I thought, okay, like I like writing. I like food. I wanted to learn more about recipe development. I like photography. So I started my first food blog in 2008 called Cooking After Five. If you Google it, you won't find it. It doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) But that was kind of my first start in food writing and in blogging and sort of figuring out my voice at that time in my life. Mm. And I wrote that blog for almost four years. And then I got to a point where I started feeling that itch where, and kind of being again in that liminal space of, okay, I don't really love this as much as I used to, but I don't really know what's coming next. I was starting to feel like I had drifted so far away from poetry and I now noticed it mm-hmm. and I missed it, but I didn't know what, I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know how to sort of get back to it or what that would look like once I did. And so I just sort of waited. And then I had one of those aha moments where it was like lightning strikes and a fully formed idea just shows up out of nowhere. But really it's not out of nowhere because your subconscious was like working on it for, you know, all that time. And it feels like it was out of nowhere. And I had this fully formed idea to start a new food blog. that was a literary food blog called Eat This Poem, where I would pair recipes and poetry. And within two weeks, that shift happened. I closed my old blog. I started the new one and just went into that full force. And when I started it, I think maybe a book was sort of really, really far in the back of my mind, but it was not my motivation for starting it. And it wasn't really something that I thought a lot about. It was just in that moment, I knew that this was the thing I needed to do to kind of align my interests at that time and sort of honor the shifts that had occurred, but to bring me back to myself and to put me in touch with poetry again, with that food element that I had so grown to love and, you know, had taken up so much space in my life. And after that, I was writing the blog for about six months. And then that's when an acquisitions editor contacted me from Roost Books. And she was like, hey, we read your blog. You know, have you ever thought about developing this concept into a cookbook? And I was like, okay, like, sure. <laughs> Very exciting. I mean, that's the, that's the email that every writer wants to get, right? But I always like to say with that story, that that email kicked off what would be a five-year relationship to, and with that Well, actually they did publish my second book, but a five-year relationship for Eat This Poem and a five-year journey to publication. So it wasn't like they emailed me and then suddenly I had a book contract and I had a book coming out. It was a long process, Mm -hmm. but they stuck with me and really, really just championed that book. And And so that's sort of the backstory of, of my first book and first publication. Oh my gosh. That's so cool to hear. I love hearing about like people's path and kind of how, you know, how, where it, it led and the shifts and the yeah. time that it took. So it's so cool to hear that, like, you know, naturally it kind of, you know, maybe you had lost this part of yourself, but, but by following what you were passionate about at the time kind of automatically aligned you again with like your first book deal, which is so just so cool. Yeah. I always say that I follow my curiosity and I kind of let that lead the way, because I think if we go into something and I mean, we can certainly have fully formed ideas and be 
and just go for it and know that that's the right thing. But we also need to have that openness to just what might come. And if I hadn't taken that space and even acknowledged that feeling of like, hey, so I, I really do love recipes and cooking and food, but I miss poetry. And if I didn't let myself acknowledge and absorb that and let my subconscious just kind of work on it, I might not have ever had that idea to pursue Eat This Poem, which ultimately fulfilled a dream that I'd had since childhood and kicked off my, my journey as an author. And I never could have predicted, predicted that if you had talked to me as, you know, a 16 year old, a 21 year old, like whatever, like all those little milestones along the way, I never, I would have laughed if someone had said your first <laughs> book will be a cookbook. I just, I would have said what? <laughs> <laughs> So when you just, but when you just follow those curiosities and, and just allow, it's amazing what can happen that you might never expect. Yeah. Such an yeah. important reminder. Yeah. And I know that this is, you know, then leading to your second book, Wild Words. And I know again, in Wild Words, you talk a lot about like routines and rituals as yeah. well as the cycles of the writing and creative life. And so I'm curious if you could maybe give some examples of like, maybe some rituals, routines that maybe you like, are there rituals, routines that you do daily or does it depend on the season? What does that relationship look like for you? Yeah, I would, I would say it's a combination. There are some that are sort of season dependent and then some that I do daily or almost daily. So I can give a couple of examples. So one that I've been doing probably for the last maybe like nine or 10 years is a one line a day journal. So I am someone you know, I've journaled, you know, most of my life and I've gone through periods where, you know, I would write pages and pages and pages, periods where I would write nothing. And about 10 years ago, I was just at a place in my life where I felt like, okay, I don't, I don't have time to sit and just, you know, keep writing and keep writing, you know, every night in my journal before I go to bed. But I also didn't want to forget what was happening in my life just on a very basic level, just kind of the day-to-day routines and just the monotony of it. And so I had heard about this concept of the one line a day journal where that's literally all you have to do is write one line per day. And it can be anything. It's very low key. There are not a lot of rules. You can just make it work for you. You know, some days are a little more insightful. Some days I literally just write what we did that day or something funny my kids said, or what we ate for dinner or whatever. But I find that it's such a wonderful way and an easy way to just record and be an archivist. And then I use those journals quite a bit. You know, most of my writing is nonfiction. And so there are times when I need to go back and maybe remember something or just sort of check something or get a a time period right or whatever. And one of the things I like to do at the end of the year, usually on New Year's Eve, I will grab my journal from the year and I will just, you know, sit and have a glass of wine and just kind of look through it and just reflect on some of the things that happened during the year, which I find is a really uh, nice practice to have and something I really enjoy. And then I would say something that happens on a more seasonal basis is actually a seasonal reflection ritual that I do where I sort of, and this is a little more kind of on the pragmatic side as well, but I like to look back over the last three months and look at the places where I made progress in my writing life, the places where 
I maybe kind of let some things go and why and how I feel about that. And just, it's a time to just be able to check in. So instead of just continuing to do something that might not ultimately be what I want to do, or, you know, I got some insight and something changed, you know, for whatever reason, it's really just a great time to be able to check in so that you don't keep going down this road where, you know, a year goes by and you're like, Oh, why, why was I doing that? Or why didn't I start working on this or whatever? So I really like to have that touch point throughout the year as part of my, as part of my writing process, just to kind of you know, honor the progress that I've made big and small, just check in on the projects I'm working on, make sure they still feel good, make any changes that I want to moving forward. And so I've been doing that for probably two or three years now. Mm, Yeah. I love that moment of reflection. And the one line a day makes me think of, I've been doing this practice every day since January, 2021, based off a prompt by Marie Howe, which is called 10 things where every day you write down like 10 things. And, and I love it too, because it's very non-committal. Like sometimes I write just one word. Sometimes I write a sentence. Sometimes I write like a whole description of something, but it's been such a cool way to, like you said, be kind of an archivist of your life. And that makes me think of, you know, being a writer and having all these journals. And I wonder, like, do you ever throw away your journals? How do you keep them forever? I think that's a problem that I'm running into as I'm trying to be a little more minimalist, but I'm like, I don't want to get rid of these journals. Cause what if I need them one day for a memoir? It is. That's a problem that writers (laughs) like that is. That's always the question. Like, what do you do with the journals? I actually, when I was starting work on my memoir, one of the the things that I did first was I gathered all the journals I could find from, there's a a section I was writing about from high school and I wanted to just, you know, kind of see what was going on. So I read through all my journals from high school to kind of pick out these particular scenes that I needed to include. And I did kind of have that moment of like, do I need these? What should I do with them? And ultimately, at least in this moment, and I think the relationship to your old journals and your old self kind of changes over the years, but where I landed was I did decide to keep the journals that I found and I, but I organized them in boxes and I labeled them. So it's very streamlined and I can access things easily if I need to. And I did toss a couple that Like at one point in high school, I kept a dream journal pretty seriously. One of my teachers sort of like tasked us, you know, to do it was great. And at the time, I think I really enjoyed it, but I was reading back through them and there was just nothing that was useful in them. (laughs) And it didn't like what I, what I dreamt about when I was 17, just had absolutely no bearing on my life now, or (laughs) it's not like I went through and I included Cause sometimes when I, if I have a dream now or I'm meditating or so, and something comes up like an object or a color or something that's like really, you know, more prominent, you know, I'll go to a dream dictionary and kind of look into it and see if there's kind of a metaphor there or something that relates to my life. And that's still a practice that I do, but in this old journal, there was nothing, I didn't even include that. So it wasn't like, oh, I had this dream about something random and here's what that meant at that moment in time. You know, so I just, I flipped through and I felt like, you know what, I can let this one go. This one doesn't really have anything to do with anything right now. And I don't feel like I need to refer back to it or I would want to. So I recycled that one, but you know, but I've kept the others that I found. So Mm, that's helpful to hear just that process of selection and like, 
Yeah, I think for me sometimes too, it's, I think having old journals is so helpful in, you know, remembering what you were thinking at that time, because there's so many little things that we forget. But I wonder too, like how, when you're, you're referencing back like old past versions of yourself, like, is there anything you do to access that memory or anything you do to connect with that part of you or to kind Mm -hmm. of like bring that up? It's a good question. I think in some ways, just the act of reading it in the moment brings me right back. But I do recall when I was looking at the the journals from high school, because I, I was looking back with a very particular purpose. I wasn't just like, oh, I want to <laughs> read these and just see what happened. I was, I was looking for things. And so I really kind of had an intentional eye and I would more quickly skip over things if it wasn't as relevant to what I was working on then. But I do remember just this sense of just compassion that was kind of bubbling up for my younger self, especially with what I was writing about, because it, you know, some, what I'm working on now in part is kind of about the things that I didn't know then that I know now that could have been helpful then, but nobody you know, was talking about it or no one was educated enough in my sphere. And I have to have compassion for myself for what I didn't know. And I just remember that feeling really kind of rising to the surface and just being very gentle with that part of myself. And I would also, I would take breaks because I think when you're going back through old material, even if you just unearth them and you're not working on a memoir, it can be a lot for a number of different reasons. And so I would, I would make sure to kind of take breaks and I wouldn't read all of them all at once. And yeah, just be very, very kind in that unearthing process. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful tip. That self-compassion piece is so important. This is something I was curious about, but I saw that um, you also teach yoga nidra Mm -hmm. and I'm curious what led you to yoga nidra, what you love about it. Cause I think, you know, pairing yoga with writing, I think you find similar things in both. And so I'm curious what that's been like for you. Yeah. So yoga nidra was something that again, was a product of new parenthood. This was maybe a couple of years in, I hadn't really, I had started a yoga practice, um, many years prior but I had not heard of yoga nidra in this particular style of sleep-based meditation. And none of the yoga studios that I went to at that time offered a yoga nidra class. So it just wasn't really in my field of vision at the time. And then my son, I think he was about two when I discovered it. And I heard Karen Brody, who would later become my mentor. She had recently published a book called Daring to Rest, which is a really, if you're interested in yoga nidra at all, I highly recommend starting there. And her book outlines kind of the three-step process that she takes people through when she teaches. And that's the framework of her entire methodology. And I heard her on a podcast that I listened to. So she was being interviewed, you know, as part of her book promotion. And she was talking about the difference between rest and relaxation and how culturally we often get it wrong and we confuse the two and sort of think they're both the same and all of that. And she gave kind of a a specific example about how all of these things, and I think she talks about it in the introduction of her book, that all of these things that we do that are sort of in the self-care category, so it might be like taking a bath or you know, reading a good book or watching your favorite show, you know, before you go to bed or meeting a friend for lunch on the weekend or whatever, all of these things that 
we you know traditionally associate with self-care and that are wonderful practices to have they are not actually restful so even when we're reading or we're just vegging out in front of the television our brain is still working and it impacts our ability to achieve the deep deep rest that we actually need to function and sort of be the best versions of ourselves. and so when i heard that i immediately was intrigued and i thought I do all of these things, you know, in the name of self-care and I love them, but I realized that there was that disconnect. And of course I was a sleep deprived, you know, parent as well. And so the idea of being able to kind of restore myself in that way, I basically thought I have nothing to lose by trying this. So I ordered her book and she has a meditation sequence that you can access when you order the book. And so I started doing that. And it did not take very long for me to just fully drop into yoga nidra and just start experiencing the benefits of it, both from a physical, you know, like a physical space and just feeling like I was more rested and I could just kind of show up more, but also seeing how it impacted my creativity. And at that time I was starting to work on, or I was maybe in the, I had just started working on the manuscript for wild words. And, you know, again, I was working full time. I had a toddler at home and I needed to do something that I hardly ever do, which is write in the evening, because that was honestly the only time that I could find my margins in the day. I did a little bit on my lunch break, but a lot of it was kind of like when my husband was doing the bath and bedtime routine, I would put my computer on. And normally I have a rule about that, but I made an exception because I had a deadline, which is something that I authorize writers to do as needed, but it's not a a space I like to, to be in all the time. It's kind of a short-term temporary situation. And so sometimes after dinner, I would go and just do a quick like 15 minute Nidra to give me a little energy boost so that I could sit down and then focus on my manuscript with a bit more energy. So I sort of used it as a tool while I was writing that book and I loved it so much. And I almost immediately felt like I wanted to tell other people about it, particularly women writers who are in maybe a similar situation as me. And so I ended up going through her training and her, her program to become a facilitator of yoga nidra. So that is something that I offer as kind of part of, part of my, yeah, my offerings on my site. And yeah, it's something that has, I, I honestly cannot imagine my life without yoga nidra <laughs> at this point. Wow. That, do you still, and you still practice it? Oh, like- I do. I do. Yeah. I would say probably, and it's sometimes it depends on where I am in my cycle too. I find that I need it more, but I would say usually two times a week on average, but sometimes I'll do it three or four depending on what's going on. So that is absolutely a tool in my writer's toolbox. Oh, I love, yeah. I love that. That's a perfect reminder for me too. Cause I realized whenever I'm feeling tired and I need rest, my current rest looks like laying in bed and scrolling on my phone, which I know is like not restful at all. But it's like, yeah, Yeah. I could could maximize (laughs) that time so much better by just playing a tape or guiding myself through something. And so thank you for that reminder. I I need that reminder. (laughs) Yeah, I still need the reminder myself too on occasion, (laughs) but yeah, it's really a wonderful practice. Beautiful. And one of, one of the last things that we'll get into is 
I'm really, and I, th I think we kind of dove into this a little bit, but I'm really interested in this like intersection of creativity and spirituality. And I think, you know, the things that you mentioned with yoga nidra and, and even, you know, following the menstrual cycles, I feel like those are so interconnected, but I'm curious for you if like, if you found this connection, if you found this relationship or intersection kind of melding the two together and if they've informed each other in any way. Yeah, it's such an interesting question. I think in some ways, practicing cycle syncing is, an, is itself a spiritual practice in a way. And I've sort of adopted that over the years now. And I think for me, my, my spirituality has certainly changed um, and shifted and deepened over the years. But I've always felt that it has connected me to something larger than myself. And I'm not sure it informs my creativity directly all the time but i think that what i do what i do think about when when you ask the question about spirituality and creativity is this idea that when you are deep in the work and you feel so small and insignificant and you have those voices kind of like in your ear like does this really matter you know is this something that needs to be out in the world you know who are you to write this all of that there's, there's also this part of you, kind of that inner knowing part, that spiritual sense that you are meant to be doing this. You are part of something that's more expansive. Again, that's bigger than you. And there's some comfort there. You know, I think creativity is something I've always been fascinated with because it's simply something that cannot always be explained. You know, I mean, there are certainly books on the subject, you know, I have one, there are a million of books about, you know, creativity and writing and trying to sort of identify it and name it and explain it. But there's always that part that is just unique to each individual. That is something we can't always name or articulate very well. It's just sort of this like felt sense. And I've always been drawn to that idea and kind of that like both and where yes, creativity is something that you can harness and control in one sense. And, you know, having a cycle syncing practice with your creativity is one way to do that. But there's also a side, no matter how focused you are, that is just unexplainable mm -hmm. and it's just there. And it just shows up in your life in different ways. And it's our job to just listen and respond Mm, that's such a beautiful way to put it. Just listen and respond. I love that. And lastly, I love sharing creative resources on this podcast. I know you're a voracious reader. I'm sure you have a lot of things that you've read or that have inspired you in the past, but curious. Yeah. What are those touchstones that maybe you come back to, or that has really helped you or just things that you're being really inspired by right now as you're working on your memoir? Yeah. It's funny when I thought about this question, when you sent them over some of, I mean, there are of course so many books, you know, that inspire me, but the first thing I thought were like really practical things, like, like tools, like Squarespace, like for your website and stuff, because that's something that is, you know, a very, like in a very practical sense, we need these digital tools in our writing life to sort of create spaces for ourselves online. And so I am a huge fan of Squarespace. I have built all my websites on Squarespace for probably the last 10 years. And, and then also another thing kind of on the tech side is 
I'm also a huge fan of newsletters and I talk a lot about the importance of having a writing newsletter and building up trust with your readers and being consistent and all of that. And I use um, a program called Flowdesk right now that I really love. I've also used ConvertKit, which is great for different reasons. So those are kind of, I really thought about all these like practical. Oh, I <laughs> love that. I mean, I think that's something. Resources. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think that's something that people don't always talk about. And when you're trying to start something, you're like, I don't even know where to start. Right. But that's so helpful to hear. Like, okay, Flowdesk, ConvertKit. Those are definitely places to start. Yeah. And in some ways too, the other thing I thought about in like a less tangible sense is one of the things that is a creative resource too are just the relationships that I've built with other creatives and other writers over the years. And that's something that, you know, can't really be measured so much, but it really, you know, having those relationships built up really just supports you as a creative over the years. And you have people that you can kind of commiserate with and talk to you about, or, you know, share your work with. And, you know, sometimes this work can be very isolating, which in some ways is one thing that I love about it. And that works for my personality, but it's also really wonderful to have people that can just sort of be in your corner and encourage you along the way too. Yeah. That's such a good point. And you're someone who I think of, I mean, first of all, I was going to say that your newsletter is one of my favorite newsletters to receive. Oh, thank you so much. I know that you say it feels like having like a weekly coffee date or yes. a date, which it totally does. I look forward yeah. to reading them. And then also the way that you've really built this community with other writers and with your readership. And it's just a really special thing to have. And so for those who would love to know more about your work, where can they find you? Where can they sign up for your newsletter? and give us all that stuff. Yeah, I think the best place to go is the wildwords.com. So there you can find the link to the newsletter. I also have an Instagram community and there are just lots of resources on that website as well. So the wildwords.com. We'll put that in the show notes. And then you had a podcast too, right? The Wild Words. I did. Yeah, it's sort of in liminal space. It was something that I started, I think it was in 2019, around the time the book came out. And I had two seasons of it and then the pandemic hit and it was just the low hanging fruit, you know, and I had to just stop it. So I've, I've kind of been itching to maybe get back to it. So I don't, I don't know if that's something that'll happen later this year or not, but there are two seasons up. If people want to listen, you can find that on the website too. Yes. Which actually reminds me, I think I found the 10 things prompt from listening to your episode with Alicia Summers. Yes. Yes. That's right. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's totally changed my life. So yeah, she's been doing that for about, I can, I'll send you the link to, so you can put in the show notes for that episode. She's been doing that for like 10 years or something. And she gives the backstory of how that started. And it's been an incredible practice for her. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. Yeah. I refer to her stuff all the time. She's on like day 1000 and yes. something crazy like that. <laughs> That's Not 10 years, but it seems it's been a long time. And I've kind of, I've known her that whole time and she's wow. really, yeah. oh, that's so cool. Well, thank you so much, Nicole. It was so amazing talking to you today. I've, I've loved your book so much and you've just been a real source of comfort and resource for me as well. So just so happy to share you with all the listeners. Thank you so much. This was so much fun to do. I hope you enjoyed that episode and thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please feel free to share it with a friend and tell them what inspired you. Or 
if you'd be so kind, you can rate and review the podcast. And when you do, I would love to gift you my free guided writing meditation that will connect you to your creativity, yourself, and your spirituality. Just go on over to my Instagram at Leah Van Doren. That's L-E-Y-A-V-A-N-D-O-R-E-N and send me a screenshot of your review and I will send over the meditation and I would love to hear your thoughts. Stay inspired, stay creative, and keep shining your creative soul. Thank you.